Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Apollo Audio Podcast. Welcome to the Apollo Audio Podcast. Woo-hoo, woo. uh, Come on, energy, guys, energy. This is, yeah. Every week this oh, is yeah. getting less em- em- emphatic. Welcome again to the Apollo Audio Podcast. We are here at Apollo Audio in Hartford with my usual amazing co-hosts. See, said to both of you, Mr. Miles Mitchell. Hello. Mr. Billy Hills. Yo. And we are joined this week by an extra special guest <laughs> for the podcast, uh, I don't know what. Special. I don't know how this is going to go. It could be. It could be weird. But we are joined this week by Sid Vicious O'Brien, as he's, oh, as he's, you're welcome. As he's known. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Sid. Thank you. You all right? Thanks for having. Me. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Good. Uh, what's What's new with you? Same old shit, you know. Oh, well, that's well, that's <laughs> well, you have now. Yeah. So uh, apologies, yeah. Apologies. Uh, oh well. <laughs> There goes our non-explicit rating for this week, <laughs> never, never mind. Uh, we are here to discuss the Rolling Stone magazine, best 500 albums of all time, uh, the list from 2020. That's our job. We do two albums every week and decide whether they deserve their place on the list or whether they should be ejected into oblivion or maybe just not on the list. Mm. That would yeah. probably be fairer, wouldn't it? <laughs> You're not on the list, therefore you should be destroyed. Seems... <laughs> Rather harsh. Um, we have, as always, two albums to discuss. Uh, beginning this week with number 319 <coughs> on the list, which is the Stone Roses debut album, which is called the, called the Stone Roses. Yeah. Yeah. Self-titled, yeah. But you didn't like self-titled albums. No. It's all right Big when fan. it's the Stone Roses. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Only exception. <laughs> Stone Roses squared. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and the debut album from the Stone Roses was released on 2nd of May, 1989, Uh, It says in the Rolling Stone magazine, for a few glorious moments at the dawn of the 90s, the Stone Roses looked like they were going to lead another British invasion. This one of baggy-panted, floppy-haired bands that loved 60s guitars and ravey dance beats with the same whimsical fervour. The sound never crossed over to the United States and the band fell apart, but first they made this incredible album highlighted by an ecstatic eight-minute-long I Am The Resurrection and laid the foundation for the Britpop invasion that blew up a few years later. This is their debut album, recorded mostly at Battery Studios in London with producer John Leckie, who went on to produce Radiohead's The Bends and Musey's Origin of Symmetry, amongst other things. So, uh, good track record there, John Leckie. Uh, This has sold over 4 million copies worldwide and peaked at number 19 on the UK chart. In May 1989, at time of release, the number one movie in the UK was Pet Cemetery. The number one album was Blast from Holly Johnson. In 1989, Holly Johnson was the uh, lead singer of uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Mm. And in 1989, he was having a solo number one album. Uh, And the UK number one single was Eternal Flame by the Bangles. You're all none the wiser, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On May the 8th, Paul McCartney released a remake of Ferry Across the Mersey in aid of those affected by the Hillsborough disaster. Uh, which claimed the lives of 96 Liverpool football fans. On May the 10th, Barcelona win their 29th European Cup Winners' Cup against Sampdoria of Italy. What happened to Sampdoria? And on May 24th, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, was released, directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by George Lucas. 
Oh, yeah. Who would like to give us a, a start? I don't think. Should we pitch, Sid in, at the, should we pitch you in at the deep That's end? That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Never even been in there. Yeah, well, if you'd listened to the podcast before, you'd know what to say. Yeah, how many did you say you'd listen to? I listened to one. Oh, waste of time. Utter bastard. They were going to get that hour back. <laughs> yeah. My biggest regret. Go on, speak into my talking about the Stone Roses. Tell us, Stone give, Roses. Us, give us the benefit of Did your, you like um, it? Did you like it, Sid? I thought it was a good album, yeah. I think I've heard a few of the tracks in it before, so it wasn't that much of a surprise, but it was good. I think it had the strongest moments were probably the start. It's, it had um, I Want to Be Adored into Waterfall, the singles, into She it? Bangs the Drums, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like yeah. straight, those three in succession. They're, 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 they were the hits, weren't they? Yeah, they were like yeah. the massive hits. I thought that was just like a really smooth run of tracks. I was yeah. thinking, this is great, and then bam. A six-minute reverse track. <laughs> so dead. Yeah. Oh, just like that kind of took away a bit, but it was still really great. I thought yeah. it was a, a good album, and it, it finishes strong as well. It comes back at the end. It's, it basically starts really strong. There's a bit in the middle. It's a bit dodgy. I think the reverse track is the worst one. The only one that really needs to be taken out because that kind of kills a bit of the momentum. Really, when you're going like three singles, and then it's just this weird kind of like sounds like your brain's not working for a bit. <laughs> I don't and really know the, the timing of these. Did the singles come out before? Were those singles out before the album? Because it's very easy to say, oh, the three singles were like, so it's front loaded. But were these singles before the album um, came out? I don't know. Yeah, you're, I'm not you're sure. Looking, but yeah, yeah. So it finishes with Fool's Gold, doesn't it? Which is another single. I finished, well, mine yeah, finished we were, with. Um, we were talking mine about. Mine finished with this, I Am the Resurrection. Yeah. Did you have I Am the Resurrection on your album that you listened yeah. to? Okay. Because mm. I thought that. Fool's Gold, I think, is a later release edition because it was a hit. I don't know that was on the album originally. That reminds me of, I think it was like FIFA 2004 or 5 or 6, and that was just on there. Mm. Reminds me was about 10 years old. Yeah. That's my first introduction to Stone Roses. Yeah, I think it was um, for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, that was the sort of big, the big hit. Yeah. Like. I think others had beat hits, but that was the big hit. And then I think they stuck it on the album later. Later. Oh, cool. Sorry, sorry, Mum. Yeah. I'm <laughs> the Resurrection. <laughs> Pronounce your T's. <laughs> I'm the Resurrection is a massive closer, though. Like, definitely yeah. is that in the album. So I think oh, my dad also... Like, kind of like Amp for me... Amphetic close, anthemic. Is it anthemic? Amphemic. I got it wrong twice. It's either, it's either emphatic or anthemic. But take it, take it. We're making our own words here. <laughs> Apollo Audio Podcast. Love it. Um, I remember listening to. I said Waterfall it had like a twelve-inch mix. Are they the longer ones? Yeah, they would, yeah. yeah, they would be, yeah, because they'd have been released as yeah, uh, dad, the, like um, club um, yeah. versions for the DJs. And the intro was just massive. And it actually has like a huge drop in it. So I remember Is like Fool's Gold and Waterfall was like my first introductions to yeah. it. But I, I I didn't really know any of the album tracks, but I was I really liked it. Was it Bye Bye Bad Man? I thought it was a good song. Mm. Yeah. Bye Bye Bad Man. I like that. Um, that was probably a standout of one of the album tracks I didn't know, but yeah. the singles are great in there. They're still played on that TV and that and films today. Yeah, from a cultural impact yeah. as well as a musical impact. I think this is a big album. Yeah, like the best five songs are the ones already knew. Yeah, but yeah, say, but you never know if that's like a familiarity. I've that's had that what I was thinking. Process. I, yeah. You never know if it's a familiar familiarity thing or, or no, that's a reason we know those ones because they are the yeah. best. I think Ian Brown's uh, melody is a bit weaker on the other ones. I think he's definitely got his stronger mm. melodies on the singles. Yeah. They're so sing alongy. I'd say, um, yeah. and they get a bit lost in the other ones. Yeah, like Johnny, is it Johnny Squire, the guitarist? John yeah. Squire, John Squire. Yeah. He's like guitars, like strong on it, everything. That's every, what I was going to yeah, say. He's great I, on every track. I th I was going to say I thought it was a great album, and I thought I think it's the most prominent guitar album mm. I've I've heard from from a, from a band rock band. I mean, they're not really a rock band. It's more like alt rock, isn't it? It's mm, like, yeah. but it's almost shoegaze. Mm. So yes. it predates it slightly. Yeah. but it's getting towards that sound, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But I, the guitar was amazing. Mm. I was like, the, every Beautiful, track, yeah. the guitar was great. John Squire, like you said. Yeah. Um, 
I started listening to them. I'm not like a massive fan. Not that I dislike them. It's just I didn't really know much about them. I started listening to them just how much Liam Gallagher used to bang on about yeah. them. Yeah. And he was such, they were such a uh, influence for Oasis. And you can hear that on the Definitely Maybe, I think, yeah. album. But they are quite different. Like, mm. you know, and, and um, I'm kind of asking you boys, I, I, I imagine bigger fans, do they get a bit heavier as, the, as, their, nine, as their album, their two, I think they had two more albums. Oh, yeah, two. It took them five one, years. One and more album after yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, right. because yeah, they came back in like 2016. I just checked Spotify. I thought they released another album, but it was just singles no. they did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and is it all in the same sort of vein? Is it like... Um, I think so. It wasn't very well received. Was it the second coming? Their, their second album was delayed about six years, I think. Mm. Uh, so it became sort of massively anticipated because it was like, the Stone Roses are coming back. They'd gone through various legal uh, actions with their label that, that, that this album was released on, that the debut was released on. Get themselves out of that, then go in the studio, record the second album. And I think self-indulgent is probably a good, a good description Fine. of it. And, it, and, and they, they did kind of push towards a sort of more, a heavier rock. That's what but I certainly thought. they went for yep. a bit of a rockier sound, but it wasn't as well received. I think the tracks that were, be- were best received were the ones that sounded most like the first album. Right. And the other tracks that were on it, probably I, that's not what so I, much. That's what I thought. It kind of made me think, mm, I think I've got these guys wrong all these years. Mm. I thought it was heavier. But I actually enjoyed this more because it being a bit, not trippy, but you know what I mean? It's dancey. It, 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 yeah, yeah, psychedelic and just a bit sort of, um, it's a bit more interesting, like the guitar, some of the tones and stuff. Mm. The other thing I was going to say, which I, I I've, think I've got wrong, but then I started doing a bit of research and someone else said this, is that they weren't massive in America, which is surprising that they've got onto this list in many ways, isn't it? I believe this is one of those albums that's become more highly regarded over time than it was when it came out. I think right. I, I think the kind of conception is that it was like massive when it first came out. That's not my memory of it at all. I think it was big and so indie scene, it got mm. kind of crossed over into, yeah, it was indie, in, wasn't the, it? in the clubs and all that kind of stuff. But sort of mainstream commercial, let's like say number 19 was that was where it peaked in the UK chart at the time. Sorry, and what number is it on this in, on this chart out of the five hundred? Three hundred, three hundred, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it said so it sold four million since then, which is one of the higher sellers that right. we've got that we've talked about on this chart. But I think it's sold steadily over thirty years, is why it sold four million because people keep going back to it, not because it sold three million in nineteen eighty nine and it's kind of tumbled over a little bit since then. I think it's been one of those ones that's sold in the hundreds of thousands <coughs> every single year. Yeah. People still like it's still a bit of a cultural thing now, like Stone Roses, that kind of scene. <coughs> For listeners, Sid is eighteen, right? Aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. so they know that your age is not. I'm not. Yeah, going to say because that is interesting. Sid, you are you are eighteen, so this is you know this is out, out long, long, long before. Yeah, um, but I already heard even, this album born. So this. why why where's it yeah. where's it come from? Where, where have you heard it? I already heard this album before, but it's but when, quite a well... Before you were born, that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. in, in the womb, I just had it on. Yeah. <laughs> now, people kind of talk about this album now, like people my age, it's quite... Like, people yeah. that are kind of into like indie music, that kind of thing, it's just such a yeah. highly regarded album. It's 300 on that list, but I think it was more of an English chart, it might have climbed a bit higher, because people really do like regard it highly. Definitely. It's part of that scene, like the Buckhat thing. People yeah, wear the Buckhat, like, people love festivals. They yeah. love this kind of music. Yeah. Is, it's is their there, album. Is there an it's argument? I, I know the music's slightly different, but is there an argument to be said that this laid the foundations for Britpop? Yeah. I just, I just I, said that in the introduction. Oh, did you? Sorry, I never <laughs> listened to, <laughs> to that. Never right. listens to a word I say. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, is no, that 100%, what you said? 100%. Sorry. Yeah, I think you kind of direct line from this. But it's quite different though, isn't it? When you think of like... Oasis Blur. I bet. I think you yeah. get Quite some different. of the attitudes. I think you get that sort of Ian Brown swagger. Although I don't think you get that from the music so much. I think no. that was more from their live performances. Yeah. Mm. 
But like, so you look at Ian Brown on stage and look at Liam Gallagher on stage and you go, yeah, you got some of that swagger yeah. from there. That's, that's that Manchester attitude. Liam Gallagher said that um, when he saw the Stone Roses, that's made him like want to start a band. Mm. He yeah. saw their gig yeah, he and he was like, yeah, that's what made me want to start like, yeah. start a band. So Yeah, and then you've got a bit of that scene with like the Happy Mondays, yeah. sort of a, an offshoot, more sort of dance culture, I suppose, but Manchester scene there as well. All the Hacienda stuff around Manchester, around that sort mm. of uh, early 90, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then you get into the Charlatans and Oasis that, you know, listen to Charlatans earlier stuff. I think you go, yeah, that's Stone Roses influenced for sure. Yeah. De definitely an inspiration, definitely led on to a lot of music that came very popular during the 90s. Have you the heard um, Fear by Ian Brown? Yeah. Such yeah. a tune, isn't it? That's yeah. one of my favourite songs. It's, Mac, you, it's got yeah. that F.E. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You only listen to music from bands made from... Liverpool or bands made from Manchester? Manchester. What, what do you choose? Would you? Manchester, but I'm interested to hear Martin. You get, Martin. Beatles, though, you get rid of the Beatles though, which is exactly harsh. Yeah, you get rid of the Beatles and the. But you get the Smiths, the Stone Roses, Oasis. Oasis. I was from Manchester. Joy Division. Joy Division. Well, they, where are the Libertines from? Oh, they're, they're, they're south, aren't they? Oh, they're south. Yeah. south. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're Libertines yeah. are London. They're Londoners, aren't they? Yeah. Their album's called Up the Bracket. That's got to be London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely another Liverpoolian like band. <laughs> there's plenty of Liverpoolian bands. I think we'll find, uh, depending on which era you want you to talk about. Obviously, you do get the Beatles though. So it's like, would you not? You get not the Beatles. Beatles you get the Beatles. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. You get the the Lars. There's a there's a band yeah. that ding, like, ding, without ding, the Lars, you don't yeah, get the Stone Roses. Frankie Goes Hollywood. <laughs> there you go. Nice Nice callback. I like that one. That's good. <laughs> and of course Atomic Kitten so <laughs> so come on well if you've got you must have orchestral manoeuvres in the dark they must be Liverpool based as well probably yeah probably to 80s come on then Martin what would you go on just you answer that well, who would you who would you live with if I, you had I, I think it's a stupid question <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult he can't choose between Oasis and uh, Beatles that's a problem <laughs> um, I'd love to grow up in that time in the like the 90s in Manchester though yeah, definitely. It's all like more favorite bands. United were playing well back then. It's like Raves. United were winning yeah. leagues like every year. Yeah, it was a good place to be in Manchester, yeah. I imagine. People were, there was swagger Unless you're a City, city. fan, obviously. Yeah, true. In which case, not so good. True. H Perfect. True. H from Manchester. It's like the Beatles That's H. That's why he wants to go back to the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the music. <laughs> so, yeah, City, back in their box. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's become a very de definitive, uh, definitive of that era, and culturally significant. I don't remember it. I remember it being out. I remember uh, friends of mine talking about it, and I don't remember being particularly taken by the Stone Roses at the time. It's, uh, in fact, I think there was a review. Um, let me see. Um, American critic Robert Chris said the group was overhyped and no different from the numerous indie bands in the United States saying what do they do that the birds in Buffalo Springfield weren't doing better in 1967 he, he concluded I love this quote he said they're surprisingly eclectic not very good at it but eclectic <laughs> <laughs> that was good um, Neil Colcarney from The Quietest said its first three songs were enjoyable but proceeded a right barrel load of shite afterwards <laughs> uh, in an article on overhyped records for The Guardian Peter Robson said The Stone Roses was an average rock album lyrically pedestrian and with a sonic policy swerving from the play safe to the overindulgent um, are they American reviewers? Uh, the one of them isn't um, The Guardian guy isn't yeah. um, 
I'm not sure where Neil Cole Carney is from. It's but from um, but the reason I was, I'm sort of reflecting on that as well is kind of that's sort of how I felt about not that not as strongly as that. I'm not going to say it was overindulgent. It at the time I felt like I don't know why everyone was so excited. They're just they sound like another indie band to me. <laughs> but and there was a lot of that sort of uh, band around at the time. And, they didn't, and, and didn't that they time really they didn't then? sound that different. Oh. Yeah. At the time, that's what—that's my memory of that of that period, mm. and it was more sort of Happy Mondays period, and then Fool's Gold coming out. Yeah, and so it goes. Oh, maybe there's something about that, and you and then you see them on top of the pops, and you get a bit of the attitude and the swagger, and that mm. I think that's what made the difference mm. rather than the initial album, certainly to me. And it wasn't something that I sort of fell in love with at the time. Mm. Um, I bought their second album, not their first one, and their second album is poor. Yeah, <laughs> it's love spreads is on it, and that's a good track. I think it's a really good track. Love on spreads it. and ten story love song. Yeah, uh, and ten story love song sounds more like the first album. Mm. I think sounds like a leftover from the first album. But yeah, I don't, I'd say I wasn't sort of hugely enamoured by the Stone Roses at the time. I've come to like them more over time. Mm. I do find it a little bit weird. So we said coming back to making sure that you're listening to the right version of the album. Almost there was definitely versions of this that didn't even have "I Am the Resurrection" on it. Mm. Which is like, well, that's. <laughs> the album without I'm the Resurrection on it isn't the album. That's no. just weird. Mm. Uh, and then sticking Fool's Gold on the end after I'm the Resurrection also feels a bit like, okay, Fool's Gold's a good track, but that's not good track placement. No, it's right at the end of it. What yeah. I listened to was when Fool's Gold, I'm the Resurrection, which I thought was decent. Yeah, I suppose. The last two tracks though, wasn't it? Yeah, so when yeah. Fool's Gold ends I'm the Resurrection is closing. Yeah. So it's it kind not... of worked. It's guess, like two, but like it's not how the tracks. album was made. That's what yeah. I'm sort of conscious of. Just in this sort of modern... I suppose streaming world and remastering and classic versions and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, re repackage and re-release. You go, what am I listening to? Is that is and what, and and also I suppose what are they rating? If you put it at three hundred and whatever it was on the on the Rolling Stone chart, if you've got this album at three hundred and nineteen on the chart, if you put Fool's Gold into it, does it go up or down? It's a fair point. Yeah. If that's not if the, you know if that's not the oh, one that they were listening it's to, it's one of the best songs. It improves it, yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, then we get into the well, greatest hits album thing uh, argument again. So yeah. why don't you just put all the bands' with best? This is basically songs the greatest hits anyway. Mm. Replace Fool's Gold with that backwards track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Album, oh yeah, the, the backwards thing is, Fool's track. Gold is like an opener, but it's not a better opener than I Want to Be Adored. Yeah. So it's like. There's, it's a weird placement to put into the album. Yeah. But why last, not just have it as a single? Why does it need to go on the album yeah. at all? Because, you know, Ele- Elephant Stone, Sally Cinnamon, they've been singles out before this album came True. out. They Sally didn't Cinnamon's think, oh, hit. we must oh, put yeah, those on. Song, mm. They didn't think we must put them on the album. Yeah. They're already out. Yeah, the way I listened to it did fit like reasonably well when it just went Fool's Gold. Yeah. Then I'm the Resurrection. Because you still got I'm the Resurrection and a closer, but you've got Fool's Gold in the album somewhere. Yeah. Mm. It didn't seem that like put in, put in yeah. yeah but you know it's, it still worked it's just nice to that song so yeah that's it it's the, yeah. sort of the, the repackaging of stuff that I'm sort of conscious of that's not how it came out yeah, originally yeah, so. yeah, yeah so why do I mean it's not uncommon the purest, happens, happens all the time with uh, albums being Rigid. even when they come out so you know release an album doesn't go well have a big hit single stick the hit single on the album re-release the album that's not that's not new. Mm. I was like Kanye with that Life of Pablo re release it like 20 times. Just oh, Ka- Kanye is a whole different animal. Yeah. We'll, go, we'll, we'll get there with Kanye sometime. What is this album? Have you, does he even know? Yeah, he literally <laughs> like, took, released it, took it away, released it, took it away. And, like change songs. Yeah. Re- they leak it as well. So you like, yeah. he's done whole albums that have been leaked and he won't release it properly. The best song on the album he added afterwards, randomly. He just added it well, on one. the end. St. Pablo. No, the normal parties in LA is the best one. Nah, St. Pablo is the best song. <laughs> so, shall we do a scores for uh, the Stone Roses, guys? 
Being yes. Sid's got to know the school system. Well, if he'd listened to the podcast, he'd <laughs> know, he'd know the school system. So let's just put him on the spot. What score do you want to give this, uh, Sid? That's difficult. <laughs> I'm giving it eight. Okay, it's out of five. <laughs> eight out of five. Eight out of five. Best album of all time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll help you out because actually, be, to be fair, I have to tell these guys what the score system yeah. is every week as well. Yeah, fairly yeah. specific. Uh, it's out of five, uh, with one being, don't bother, it's yeah. rubbish. Two, it's okay in its lane if you like this sort of thing. Three, definitely worth a listen. Four, I really like this, but it's not maybe their best work. And five, I'll definitely be recommending this to other people. I'll give it a five. There you go. Wow. Straight in. It only got eight out of ten, but it got five out of five. <laughs> because, <laughs> I would, <laughs> because I would recommend... Meet, yeah, it does meet the criteria. I would recommend it to other people, and it's definitely their best work, because yeah. the other album was a bit of a shambles. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So I know I, I, I understand five where you're coming from. I agree with that. Then Sid, five. Yeah. Oh, a five from Billy as well. Okay, that's good scoring so far. Uh, I'm, I'm how am I going to work this out? I've got four scores now instead. I, I just oh, realised. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. I thought it was really good. Um, not quite a five for me from personal preference. I'll go four. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't. I don't think it's uh, ultimately. Um, Oh god, it's quite hard actually. Four or a five? Yeah, it's really the perfect album. Yeah, I wouldn't give it a five if if it wasn't for the criteria. Yeah, because the criteria. I mean, I mean, yeah. That's the thing. It's like I'd say, it's not. Are we kind of going? Is this the best album ever, or is it a five star album? That's not not quite the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be entirely perfect <laughs> for it to be five stars. Yeah, I think I'm going to. Having said that, I think I'm going to knock a star off for the nonsense that is. Don't stop. It's a fair yeah. point. It's Which fair should point. be called Please Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, that backwards track is weird. So yeah, I'm going to go a four. And now I have to figure out how to average our scores <laughs> for a future. It's 18 out of 15. So that's 18, <laughs> <out> of, <laughs> 18 out of 15. I need to divide by four and multiply by three, don't I? Yes. 13.5. Okay, there we go. So 13. Nice. Yeah, round right. up to third, 14 or oh, round I down? I don't know. I'll decide that later. Fine. <laughs> that's probably the highest one up. Yeah, I uh, okay, good. good score from the Stone Rosies. That feels about right. <laughs> Album number two on the Apollo Audio Podcast this week is from Van Morrison. It's at number 120 on the Rolling Stone list. Uh, it's called Moondance and it was released on the 27th of January 1970. Van Morrison quoted in the Rolling Stone magazine item on this album said, Two horns and a rhythm section, they're the type of bands I like best. Morrison took that soul band lineup and blended it with jazz, blues, poetry and vivid memories of his Irish childhood until songs such as And It Stoned Me and Caravan felt like lucid dreams. To listen to the album is to get your passport stamped for Morrison's world of ecstatic visions. This was his third studio album, an immediate critical and commercial success. It helped establish Morrison as a major artist in popular music. I love it. This is my best fact <coughs> of the week. Morrison's wife was called Janet Planet. <laughs> That's my favorite. Unreal name. That's my favorite fact. I kind of don't want to go any further. <laughs> Five stars. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he moved uh, to a home on the mountaintop in the Catskills near Woodstock, uh, Hamlet in upstate New York with an artistic community. According to Planet... He was majorly influenced by Bob Dylan, who had just moved yeah. into town when Morrison arrived. <laughs> Van fully intended to become Dylan's best friend, Planet recalled. Every time we'd drive past Dylan's house, Van would stare wistfully out the window of the road leading to his house. He thought Dylan was the only contemporary worthy of his attention. The number one movie was MASH. 
Uh, the movie number one album Abbey Road by the Beatles was number one in January 1970. Uh, the UK number one single was Two Little Boys by Rolf Harris. There's an artist who's had his legacy <laughs> largely <laughs> revised, I think. That's crazy. Um, oh, in January 1970, the Beatles had their last recording session on January the 4th at Abbey Road Studios, uh, where they completed George Harrison's tune I Me Mine. John Lennon was on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on January the 7th, uh, farmers sued Max Yasgur for $35,000 in damages caused by the Woodstock Festival. And uh, old friends of the podcast, the Grateful Dead, <laughs> had their, all their members and entourage were busted uh, in New Orleans on LSD charges. Uh, that's your January 1970 facts. Van Morrison, Moondance. I think Sid should open with his quote that he said to me in the car. <sighs> I was saying Van Morrison was just a shit Bob Dylan. Van <laughs> Morrison. The thing he was saying Bob about Dylan. trying to be his friend as well, like, it's yeah, pretty my point. Yeah, yeah, he's not knocking at all. Like, yeah. Bob, Bob, <laughs> write me a decent uh, song. Yeah, I, 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 I like the way it's expressed, so like kind of staring wistfully out the window as he drove past his house. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It does make you sound a little bit sad. Well, so, um, but I certainly wouldn't, he certainly wouldn't have been the only person who wanted to be Dylan's friend in 1969, 70. That was a fairly common thing. I want to be his friend. Give him a hug. <laughs> I think everyone must make the connection when they listen to this album. It's like this is this could be a Bob Dylan album, and maybe mm. a sort of I don't know if it's worse Bob Dylan actually. For me, I I, I think it was it was um, oh God. I use this word so much, but it was more palatable this one Van Morrison than than because yeah. we talk about we've had so many coincidences on this podcast. I suppose it's not a coincidence, but obviously we had Bob Dylan last week. Mm. Yeah, and you can definitely hear the influence. Because Dylan was around sort of early 60s, 60s wasn't he? I mean, he was active throughout. So it started the 60s, but 60s, yeah. yeah. But my views on it was it was all right and mm. more than ever. And I was really trying to be objective and think, is it just because I know these are the ones I know? But by far, his best songs were his, were the ones we all know, the singles, Moon Dance, Into the Mystic and... Um, Crazy Love. Crazy Love. Yeah, I By far the best agree. songs. And actually, I think they're actually three really good songs. They were great. They've been covered by everybody since and i think um yeah i think they're actually really good tunes so for that it's actually a pretty good album and the rest of it's the rest of it's like listenable but nothing's i, w I won't be rushing back to listen to the rest of it mm -hmm. i completely agree with that to be honest i thought those three were great moon dance and into the mystic especially were like really good songs yeah the bit where he like gets going in into the mystic the vocals obviously i thought that's great yeah but there's the rest of it, it just seems a bit i don't know just like a Bad Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, the whole, there's too many horns in there and it's just like random flute solos. And he's horny. <laughs> yeah, just too horny. <laughs> um, but it's just, I don't know. I think it just could have been done better. Like even the songs that he wrote, like he could have just stripped them down a bit more, less flute solos. And it might have been a bit <laughs> Not better. Not enough in my opinion. Because <laughs> like, I don't know, I've never been, I've never in the mood for a flute solo. Like, <laughs> like, I'm never thinking, you know what, I'm just going to stick on this record because they've got a great flute solo in this. <laughs> And it's just like every two minutes you just hear like, yeah. it's like mate, I don't need that. <laughs> Unless it's by my mate who plays flute and beatboxes at the same time. That's quite That's cool. Say, yeah. Van Morrison hasn't got that. He just no, he doesn't. got his looker, is he? <laughs> yeah. But Bob Dylan could do that. It's not Archie, is it? Archie, yeah, yeah, of course. Archie, yeah. You know Archie, yeah. Hello, Archie. Yeah, hello, Archie. We'll get him on. <laughs> but there's not many people that can do that. He's the only person in the world that can do that. Beatbox and play the flute at the same I'm time. I'm not sure. But he, he started doing it at school and he did a talent show at school and he got a standing ovation. Everyone was like, well, you know, a seventeen-year-old kid just gets up, like starts playing this real classical piece, yeah. and everyone, everyone's like, "Oh, here we go!" Yeah. And then he starts literally beatboxing. Everyone's That's like, "Woo!" <laughs> Amazing. Look, Ron Burgundy's good on the old flute. Yeah, he, he does. The, he does the jazz flute solos yeah. as well. Yeah, he's good. 
Oh, I didn't actually know Worm Moon Dance. <laughs> Come on. I was surprised. That's a great that. song. You, you, I said that. That. Said that. you don't like it? I liked the first track. When you said that last week, I was surprised you'd never heard Moon Dance before. I thought that was kind of ubiquitous music that everyone kind of knows. I knew... Was it Crazy Love? What it was called again? Yeah, yeah. Damien, knew that. Who did that big cover? Was it Damien Rice? Michael Bublé. I think. Michael Bublé. Yeah, that's probably where I know it from. But um, I think it's Elvis. Maybe realise I, I just don't like stuff from the early seventies, especially American stuff, especially the albums we've done so far. It's definitely sort of, of, of a of, of what, a piece. Yes, with the things it seems covered. to be a bit middle of the yeah. roady. It takes you literally to that dusty Route sixty six yeah, driving. Like, oh, not again. Like, but weren't bad. Like first listen, I was like, oh, what have I got? It's like another like Bob Dylan one. Second listen, I didn't really mind it. I had it. I was going on a walk and I had it. It's quite a nice just background music. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's hard, hard to hate it, isn't no. it? It's like it's very sort of. Uh, like nice on the yeah. ear but it just does I, nothing yeah. for me I Crazy Love's actually a brilliant song if you listen to the lyrics as well it's yeah a it was great that's song. what I thought I only listen to it once it might be a bit unfair if I'm just proper slagging it off but I was listening to, I listened to those songs I already knew and I thought they were great but I thought I didn't like the band with the with the tracks the rest of them I thought he was saying about how great the band was as Martin was saying but I thought they didn't add a lot they might have taken it a, a bit away just adding mm. all those horns every like 20 seconds I thought he would have been he would have better served the song just doing it like an acoustic just mm. him just singing because he like, it was good like lyrics there and like nice melodies you know some of them were quite same you know he kept going for like he kept doing quite similar vocal lines in quite yeah. a few songs was it not sad enough for you? <laughs> not sad enough for you, <laughs> you know, is his first name actually Van? yeah is he Irish? that's a bit mad yeah, I need it? to do like a post breakup with Janet Planet album <laughs> And just do a bit more of a sad Van Morrison with less horns. Yeah. Like so sad and horny. So he did quite. Yeah. That was the best combo. Yeah, like the weekend or something That's like that. Yeah. Court, court, of, court of the podcast. That. It, Van that, Morrison, sad what, and horny. What, <laughs> did he record this in America? Yes. Because it sounds so American. Was he not American? But he's Irish. He's Irish. No. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was. Um, do you know what I mean? The the the, the recording yeah. sounds like a yeah American record. Like mm. you know. Does that show us maybe how much influence sort of songwriters and producer and like Sid said, like the band, even though they weren't great in your eyes, how much influence they had on the record? Because it didn't sound like, um, it didn't sound like, I didn't get any sort of influence of him being being Irish. Do you know what I mean? I see Is that fair saying. to say? Mm. I think a little bit, li uh, lyrically, I think there's sort of more more referential towards that sort of Irish past, I think. But musically, it's definitely got that uh, that. That thing that, that, Billy, that Billy hates. Yeah. Uh, you know, that sort of late 60s, early 70s, California, Laurel Canyon. Country bluesy. Is a little bit infringed with it. And, and I would suggest as well a little bit, not that there's this sort of Memphis influence, but that, that sort of horn section, that band thing that yeah. you guys sort of didn't get with the Dusty Springfield album as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's got that sort of, yeah. slightly that nature of it. Um, in there as well, which might be it's because interesting. Uh, you know, without uh, always with any music, you kind of go in the end, it's subjective, isn't it? But I think it's fascinating to hear, like said, you saying like these songs would have been better if they'd been arranged differently. Yeah, I don't think they're bad and, songs. It's yeah, and, like and, the and, and, the and then yet you've gone, but Van Morrison's done exactly what he wanted to do with these. He said mm. in that in that quote there, I want you to have a band. I love listening to a horn section. Yeah. So he's gone and said, this is the way these should be done. Mm. Yeah, I just don't think the arrangement really served the songs. I think maybe like he did his first album, the Labour gave him a bit more money. He's like, I need to get a massive band with like loads of players. And it's just like, I don't think there is loads of players on it there. It's just like two horns. It's just because like, there's a lot of horns. It's not like too, too many. It's not yeah, a huge it's band. It's just too too many. I think it's just the horns really. Just, it's aggravating the whole time. Do you not like horns on anything? Too? No, I do like horns. It's just like in that in that kind of album, I don't think they were songs that 
needed the horns. Needed them, yeah. Because I, I think it's just that kind of singer-songwriter acoustic stuff. Like yeah. maybe if you look at like um, like Leonard Cohen's first album, something like that, just purely like acoustic, just singer-songwriter <laughs> things. It might have been better just to do something simple like that. This is definitely more jazz-influenced, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I think that's where that's Maybe it feels like he tried to... That he's tried to do a bit too much, isn't he? In, I think... In, 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 and, and I think Sid makes a good point there. Perhaps he... The essence of the song is actually always were always quite good because I yeah. said, I was a bit sort of like flippant and saying like the other ones are sort of forgettable, but like Billy was saying as well, you they're still pleasant. And actually, mm, yeah. if I listened again, I mean, oh, that's quite a good melody. That's a good. But I'm kind of with Sid. They they kind of I don't know what it, it lost a lot of raw emotion because of yeah. the arrangement and the horns and things like that. So yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. The songs that he got right at the band sound brilliant, like Moon Dance yeah. and. Um, Crazy love, yeah, and uh, was um, into the mystic. But even into the mystic was quite just acoustic. Strip back, wasn't so it? So that was the one that really worked, and I thought that was great. Yeah, Moon Dance works really great at the band, but I think the rest of them were kind of like simple songs that didn't gain anything from the band. Like Moon Dance had that jazzy vibe, but needed a band with it. Yeah. It wouldn't work acoustic, but the rest of them were kind of just acoustic kind of songs, like in the style of Into the Mystic, but he just like whacked in a band in there. I didn't think that really. Yeah, and fit the songs at all. It kind of took took away from like like you said, like the emotional rawness. Yeah, of just having just an, a guy of an acoustic guitar singing, where you have like all this stuff going on. It feels a bit like showy, but yeah. it's not. It hasn't got that. The actual song isn't like a showy no. kind of song. Like Moon Dance has that jazzy vibe that works at a band, but I don't think the rest of them necessarily do. Like the forgettable ones, I think don't benefit at all from the band. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in agreement with you. It's yeah. <laughs> awful, all that kind of actual, sort of properly thought out um, critique of the album, Sid. Putting us to shame. I've actually you? got an opinion on these songs. You guys had notes. I was, was I listened to the album this morning and you guys had notes. I was like, oh no. Like, <laughs> I've even thought about how he could have made this better. That's incredible. Uh, it's fantastic. I'm going to make a bold statement about this al album, just having listened to what all, all of you guys have said. I think if you listened to this again, and maybe even again after that, I think it will, I think you'll absorb it a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. I Probably think it's sure, one of those yeah. that yeah. kind of, I think there could be a little sort of first instinct is, oh, it's that. And then I think, I think it would kind of, um, What's the phrase? Growing out a shower. Yeah, it would grow. It would grow yeah. <laughs> the horny theme of this album is yeah. it's getting too much. I think its reputation would would grow yeah. given given further listening. No, I, I said that. Yeah, I think um, it would. The things that you kind of go, oh, I'm not sure about that. I think given a little bit more time, I'd say a bold statement. You might not, but I, I feel I'd that's, that's that, possibly true. I, 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 the reference with Bob Dylan, I think there's a lot of that's clearly influenced. There's, there's you could describe it as Dylan-esque, except for that sort of big barrier I think we spoke last week about that most people have with Dylan if they don't like Dylan is can't get on with the voice he's got a more um, pleasant voice Van Morrison and Van Morrison yeah, has a much more pleasant yeah. voice so you yeah. kind of take the kind of all the stuff that you <laughs> like about Dylan and put it with a, a voice that's a little yeah. bit less kind of yeah uh, for a lot of people then you go oh well that's why I can get on with this I think um, um, I just suppose it makes yeah. him a bit I just think it makes him a bit a bit more accessible yeah but m not as original yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, that there's that element of, you know, why are some of our most successful artists are those ones that have the more Marmite 
uh, yeah, yeah. thing going on, aren't they? It's kind of, you might love it or hate it, and it's those ones yep. that inspire the most passion. Mm, so perhaps when you've got something like Van Morrison, that's a bit kind of yeah, this is nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was making like oh, he's a shit Bob Dylan and that kind of thing. But <laughs> realistically, look, when I first listened to Bob Dylan, I was like, this guy is like awful. Like, how could you listen to? This? So you have to listen to it again, and then you get into it. You're like, oh, this is actually great. So I didn't give Van Morrison that kind of treatment. Yeah, probably quite unfair to Van. I think music. <laughs> sorry, man. I think it's <laughs> sorry. But there's from an element one, from of one man with a name of three letters to another. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had that breakthrough with Bob Dylan yet, but I want to because I almost feel a bit sort of pathetic as a as a musician songwriter that I'm not into Bob Dylan because I, I think I, I thought that as well. I know, like, all all like people like the, <laughs> yeah, people are like who re, you know. We were talking about this last week. Bob Dylan's like a bit of a sort of you know icon, isn't he? And yeah. I feel like I should like him more. Mm. I do like some songs, but I'm not like. Are you? Would you say you're a massive fan of his now? Not a massive, massive fan because he's got so many albums. I've just heard like the big ones, like Blonde on Blonde, like Highway 61, that kind of thing. Yeah, just, like and like Free Will, Free Wheeling, Bob Dylan, like um, mm. Blood on the Tracks. And as this is proving, he's obviously such. A, yeah, he's, he's he's so influential to so many other artists. I think for so, many, so many years for so, yeah. across so many genres. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's I think still so many yeah. artists will, would would Absolutely. quote Bob Dylan is their yeah. inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like if you if you're in a band, you want to be the Beatles or the Stones. And if you're a solo singer, you want to be Bob Dylan. I want to be Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. I was really surprised uh, putting this album on, like instantaneously. I love the way that it starts. There's like no introduction, it's straight in vocal mm. um, track. And I thought that's, that's immediately I was sort of taken by it. And that probably helped me get into the album more. Moondance, massively familiar with. It's sort of quite nice to hear in the context of an album rather than just... Yeah. Uh, it's one of those... And when does, oh, listening to that, it was almost like going back and remembering, mm -hmm. oh, this is a good song, because I've heard so many bad cover versions. I was going to say, yeah. it's, it's nice like Wonderwall. You really you know, yeah. I, heard, I heard Wonderwall, the actual original actually good recording of Wonderwall yeah. not that long ago, and you go, oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah. I forgot I thought that the other day. I was like, Wonderwall, that's rubbish, mate. And you actually listen to it, and then the drums come in, you're like, do you know what? Bang, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they should have started the album with Moondance, though, personally. I didn't really like it. I like the opening track. Yeah, I did, yeah everyone likes it. I, I didn't really like that song much. I thought they should have... What was it? It's about Stoned or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it stoned me. And it stoned me. I didn't yeah. really like it. I think if I opened with Moondance, like, it's quite a nice opener. And they could have just crept in the other ones in, like, throughout. <laughs> it's it's like, they, like have, it. they have yeah. full-on... I can't remember what documentary it was, but they have full... The track listing is so important for, for oh, what band was it? it Coldplay. Was, oh, it was Coldplay. Yeah. And they were literally like, I think Chris Martin says before he goes in, he's like, uh, you're filming us now, it's all smiles. Come back in two hours, we'll be, we'll be at, oh, that's at the, each other's uh, throats. That's the, doc, that's the Amazon documentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll be at each other's throats because the track listing. And then you, the, yeah. the, 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 the and camera. And they've got more, more tracks than actually end up on the album as well. They're yeah. ditching, they're ditching oh, yeah, tracks and that as well. well, yeah. But the track listing is so important, especially, Definitely. you know, this whole process we're doing about albums is amazing because it's um, going back to the legacy. Well, it's obviously not quite, it's still going on, but of you know, how, I think I actually say this in the trailer, but it's how how artists want their music to be heard in an album. It's a yeah. through line, a story. And so I think track listing is so, so important. Yeah, and um, it's not hit after hit after hit yeah. as well. I think you're allowing yourself within the context of an album to say, I can try something that doesn't need to be a hit single. It doesn't need to get radio play. Yeah. It can be something where I can kind of go, all right, like you said, bring your audience with you, come into this album. And then by, I don't know, four or five tracks in, you're like, okay, I'm going to give you a seven minute jazz odyssey now or something. Cause yeah, you're yeah. with me. Yeah. 
and I can get away with that. Or, or you put on a backwards nonsense, uh, like <laughs> yeah. Stone Roses do, and you go, okay, I was kind of with you, but you've lost me a bit now. Uh, Ralph Gleason from the San Francisco Chronicle wrote of Morrison singing as a focal point of praise. He said, he wails as the jazz musicians speak of wailing, as the gypsies, as the gales and the old folks in every culture speak of it. He gets a quality of intensity into his will which really hooks your mind, carries you along with his voice as it rises and falls in long soaring lines. Moondance reached the top 30 of the American album chart and top 40 in Britain in 1970 whilst establishing Morrison as a young, commercially successful and artistically independent singer-songwriter with great promise. Number 120. What did we think, guys? Where are we scoring this? Eight. It's going to be eight, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be yes. definitely eight. Smooth eight. I'm yeah. going to go three because those, those single, those hits are really good. I'm going three. A yeah. three from Miles. I'll go three. I mean, there's some definitely some tracks that were quite forgettable, but the, the ones that were good were really good. I really enjoyed them, so I'll give it a three. Three. Three? I think that's a generous Imagine three number. from Billy there. I'm surprised. <laughs> Again, I agree with what you said earlier. Second time, I, first time I didn't actively hate it, but second time I was like, oh, this, this is nice. Mm. It's just not my thing. Yeah. But I don't think it's a bad piece of music. There's some good singles on there. Yeah. I think we should just all chip in and buy Billy a single ticket to like... America and he just has to listen to <laughs> listen to time travel back to the 70s, the 70s, yeah, yeah. In the 70s and you. listen to all these sort of uh, artists you know he doesn't like the Eagles don't like the Eagles, oh. the well, Eagles we'll I've got we'll that um, what have I got um, what's one one of these nights oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, on, yeah. I've got the whole album oh it's amazing great. yeah yeah, Billy doesn't like the Eagles. I, I I now understand. I think Martin, you do now. I understand exactly the genre that Billy doesn't like. I can yeah. I can almost picture it as hear it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly American, the sort like, of yeah, artist. Yeah, I, but I think what's what's interesting as well. The tastes change. I know that the, the types of things I've listened to in the past and would listen to now. The things I would have rejected in the past. I would gone. I'm never going to listen to that. Yeah. But I will listen to now things that I loved in the past that I now listen to and go, what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. an example uh, of that? Tastes change. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of an example. Uh, I'm going to give this a four. Wow! I think it's a the same uh, as I, the Stone I, Roses. I think it's a very good album. Yeah, so three. I, and again, so it's all. I know it's all subjective. It might not be to everyone's taste, but I think some great moments. Definitely. I think there's definitely. Uh, um, see, I think it goes beyond just oh, this is a good Van Morrison album. I think this is a good album. Yeah. But, well, Buble likes. I've just course. thought. I know we've spoken, in, but he obviously he's done two big covers of two of those songs, hasn't he? Yeah. So he's obviously, uh, and he's he's obviously a big fan. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, yeah. He's probably a, a bit of an icon, Van Morrison, isn't he? Uh, he's man. he's probably like been a, 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 around a long time and written a lot of good songs. I, I, who's, who, I don't think he had the big hit with it, but I, have I told you lately that I love you? Oh yeah, that's a oh. Is, no, that, is that a song or are you just no, confessing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Both. And, yeah. and that's the big announcement <laughs> from this podcast. <laughs> that's a great song. I forgot about that one. What, did, no, he, like that. did he... Is that Van Morrison? That's Van yeah, Morrison. that's a great song. Originally? Yeah. yeah. That's a good song. Yeah, I like that one. Don't know that one. Oh, maybe I love Van Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the Van Morrison version. I didn't know there was another one. That's a 9.75, by the way. Oh, okay. Did the math. <laughs> we'll give that a 10. Yeah. We'll oh, double one. figures. Well done, Van. Our albums for next week, then, based on the random... How random is this? Uh, Extremely. Google says it's random. Sorry, okay, Google, it's, it's, it's random according to Google. So, first is... 125. And this is Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Mm. Oh. 
So Never heard it. I believe that is the second album by the Beastie Boys. Let me just check. Second studio album from the Beastie Boys released on 25th of July, 1989. So we're five away from Van Morrison and only one month away from um, the Stone Roses. <laughs> do do, do. Splendid. Paul's Boutique by the Beast... beast ba- the what? The, Beastie beast, the Beastie Buys. The Bestie Booze is our first album. And second one is... 140 in the hundreds this week. Ooh. Which is an artist... Sort of, I feel like we're in the same ballpark yeah. <laughs> as we, as we have been the last couple of weeks. This is Bob Marley and the Whalers and Catch a Fire. Oh, I love, yeah, that'd be good. Bob Marley. So, uh, the fifth studio album by Bob Marley and the Whalers, released in April 1973. Good stuff. Good, good mix. Good yeah, mix. No, another sort of very um, acclaimed artist who is massively influential. Okay, we will be back next week to talk about those albums. Thank you, boys. Thank you, Martin. Good to have you, you with you, us Martin. this week, Sid. Thank you, guys. Hope you've enjoyed, you, your, hope you've enjoyed your adventure through you listen to this one? music. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Please do uh, get in touch with us if you would uh, like to tell us what you thought of this week's albums or the show or any of the other albums that we've uh, covered so far. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us at Apollo Audio Pod at gmail.com uh, and like and subscribe on whatever podcast listener you're listening to us on. I was going to list the podcast listeners where you can listen, but I thought you're already listening, so you already know how to listen. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, So wherever you are, please give us a rating and a comment. It all helps us to reach other people. We'd be delighted if you would do so. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye! See you later. Will you forgive me?